And here we go, another edition of Jamal Best Sports coming to you on uh, Wednesday, December 8th, 2021. Kicking off the show, a little bad luck by Mike Ness and Social Distortion. As always, I'm your host, Jamal Hayden, and we've got a big show to get to. We have NFL, Lions get their first win of the year at long last, finally, mercifully. We've got, uh, we'll take a little trip around the league as well, talk about some interesting games, and uh, as we are now, what, let's see, 12, 12 weeks in, Lions were 1, 10, and 1, so that's 12 games, so five games left, last third of the season, I guess, if you will, here. Um, teams try to jockey for playoff positioning and such. Uh, and remember, there's the extra uh, wild card now this year as well. Uh, we'll talk about college. The playoff is, is set. Uh, the conference championship games that took place last weekend, previewed it last week. Uh, spoiler alert, none of them were very good. A couple of them were okay, but the ones that had major implications were not particularly good games. Uh, talk a little NBA and some Knicks. Then we'll finish off a little Major League Baseball, even though they're in the lockout. But we start with the Lions, which we did not do last week, um, but felt like they deserve it since they got their first one of the year, finally. Uh, against the Vikings, granted they didn't have Dalvin Cook, but um, Alexander Madison, his backup, is a good back. Uh, I understand Theline went out of the game with an ankle injury. Adam Theline, the, the good receiver, top-notch receiver, but they still had Jefferson. Um, and I understand that they were missing two key players on defense in, in Barr and, and, and Hendricks, the two linebackers, Anthony Barr and, and Michael Kendricks, not Hendricks, Kendricks. Uh, having said all that, don't care. Lions needed to win, obviously, in the worst way. Um, and look, said it last time, the team is bad it's through no, mostly through no fault of this new regime's of, of, through their fault, right? It's not, it's not the fault of Bob, Brad Holmes and the rest of the front office. It's not the fault of Dan Campbell and the rest of the staff necessarily, right? They, they were dealt a lousy hand because the prior coach and GM did a horrendous job with this team. Horrendous. Said it last time. As bad, if not worse, than Matt Millen. Matt Millen at least gave them Calvin Johnson, Right? Where, where's Bob Quinn's Calvin Johnson? And you can tell me that, oh, he didn't have a, a pick as high as Calvin Johnson. Well, again, he took a tight end with the eighth pick in the draft. I understand Calvin Johnson was the second pick in the draft. Bob Quinn took a tight end with the eighth pick in the draft. After the previous regime took a tight end with the tenth pick in the draft and saw that that didn't work. So he just thought, well, I guess I'll just still be the smartest guy in the room and make an idiotic pick. And again, it's not about the fact that TJ Hawkinson, whether he's a good player or not a good player, I don't think he's good. Again, he's talented. He's not good. You can't lead the league in, in penalties at your position and be considered good. Despite what the 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 nitwit Detroit Lions beat writers will, will tell you. Because he made the Pro Bowl last year, so therefore TJ Hawkinson is good, even though he's not good. Now, he had a touchdown in the game against Minnesota. His numbers again look pretty good this year. Um, but again, I I digress. The point is. We knew this is a rebuild, knew the lines are going to be bad. Um, but having said that, could have slash should have beaten the Ravens, right? Ravens won on a 66-yard field goal, hit the, hit the crossbar, and bounced over. It's about a, almost a one in a million. 
Should have beat the Vikings the first time. Lost on a 55-yard field goal at the buzzer. Definitely could have slash should have beaten the Steelers. So you want to throw those through, and that, that was a tie. So one, two, three. I mean, they, the Lions could be four and eight right now, middle of the road, mediocre slash bad like everybody, you know, like the other four and eight teams, the Giants and, you know, some of these other teams that are out there. Um, but they're not. They're one ten and one, and that's fine. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, three wins, six wins, five wins. I mean, it, it doesn't really matter. What you'd like to see, again, is see if the Lions can finish the season strong. And and that doesn't necessarily mean wins, right? It means being competitive against some good teams that they're going to play. They're going to play Arizona. They're going to play Green Bay again. Um, you know, they're going to play. They play at Denver this week, right? Denver's not great, but they're not terrible. And it's in Denver, always a tough place to play. Um, and, and the people that you want to see play well are the guys that played well in this win, right? Amon Ross St. Brown, rookie wide receiver, uh, fourth-round pick at a USC. Game-winning touchdown, 10 catches, only 86 yards because that's the Lions passing attack is, is a very much of a dink and dunk, a dink and dunk attack. But big game for him. You like to see that. Um, Jerry Jacobs, undrafted rookie corner out of Arkansas. Another good game. Three tackles for a loss. And yes, he gave up some plays to Justin Jefferson. Everybody's going to. The guy's a stud. This Jerry Jacobs is, has been a, a revelation as an undrafted free agent. He is feisty. He's sticky in coverage. He will tackle. He's been a joy. He played well. Julian O'Quara played well. Um... Derek Barnes had a big hit on a two-point conversion. Stoned a guy on a running play. Rookie fourth-line pick out of Purdue, middle linebacker. So some young guys, you know, the offensive line as a whole played well. The offensive line as a whole for the Lions is still fairly young. Young veterans like Taylor Decker. And then Penny Sewell, obviously, the seventh pick in the draft this year. Among others. Jonah Jackson, third-round pick last year as the left guard. So they played pretty well. You had this Godwin Iguabique had a nice play on the, on the f- touchdown drive that won the game at the end, had a big third down conversion on a little swing pass out of the backfield. Right, so some young guys showed up. Tracy Walker had a good game. Right, Levi Owenzorike, the the third second round pick. Second round, third round pick, defensive tackle out of Washington, rookie. Had a couple of splash plays. So that's what you want to see. You want to see the guys that you think slash hope are going to be the core of this team moving forward play well here down the stretch. Now, I understand Jared Goff had a good game. That's fine, finally. They finally threw the ball down the field a little bit. Josh Reynolds certainly seems to help, former Ram, that that Goff had some chemistry with when he was with the Rams. The Lions signed off the street several weeks back, had a nice game. Uh, had, the, you know, had the touchdown against the Bears on Thanksgiving, had a good game this past week. Uh, he might be a piece moving forward. Who knows? He's still relatively young. But, um, you know, that's what you wanted to see. And the defense, honestly, has played pretty well this year. It's played probably over its head. Now, when they need a stop in the worst way, they can't get one. I mean, that's that's been their MO, right? 
you know, they gave up the fourth and 23 in the Baltimore game to even give them a ridiculous chance at a 66-yard field goal. They couldn't get Minnesota off the field late in that game. They couldn't get Pittsburgh off the field late in that game when they needed to. They couldn't get the Bears. They should have won the Bears game on Thanksgiving also. Couldn't get the Bears off the field when they needed, when they needed to. So, you know, statistically they look pretty good. They haven't given up a ton of points, particularly over like the last five or six weeks. But in big spots, they can't get a pass rush, and they don't really get off the field. <coughs> Excuse me. But, again, they've discovered it looks like some pieces here, almost accidentally, but we'll take it, as they've sustained a rash of injuries on defense. Um, Dan Campbell, listen, imminently rootable, right? Very easy guy to root for. Is honest open, emotional, admits when he makes mistakes. He, he's the exact opposite of Patricia in every single way. And you and you watch the locker room celebration and you see the players hug him and you see how Jar, Jared Goff ran right over to Dan Campbell after he threw the game-winning touchdown and was looking for him and hugged him. And look, Campbell has been very – he's been fair – and tough on Goff, right? He has said he needs to play better. Perfectly reasonable thing to say, by the way, um, without killing him. So he's done a great job from that perspective, Dan Campbell has. However, his in-game decisions are, to say they are head-scratching is uh, being kind. I mean, in this game against Minnesota, with about five minutes to go, when the Lions had a fourth and less than a one, at their own 28-yard line, right, with about five minutes to go in the game, up two points, he went for it. He went for it. Now, the analytics say that that gave the Lions a 56% chance to win, and if they punted, they'd only have a 51% chance to win. This is exhibit A to throw analytics out the window. That is so dumb because what, you know, again, you're looking at this in a vacuum. What you are not taking into account is that Jared Goff is not a very good quarterback and that Dan Campbell thus far, not saying he may not improve, but thus far is not a good play caller. And they called a play action pass that didn't fool anybody. And not only did they not even get it, Goff fumbled because that's what he does. Anytime you breathe on the guy, he fumbles, and Minnesota recovered. Wouldn't have mattered anyway. It was fourth down. But <coughs> my point is analytics are useful to a point. But, yeah, again, you have to understand the flow of the game, what's going on. Now, it ended up working out because the Vikings scored a touchdown but left the Lions enough time to come down the field and score a touchdown of their own to win the game. And if that was part of his calculus, then I'll give him a little bit of a break. I don't think it was, honestly. It probably was not. Because here's why it's a dumb play to go for it on fourth down. There's like five minutes left to go in the game. So even if you get the first down, you can now go three and out on your next set of downs. And all you've done is, you know, you haven't really improved your field position by that much. You know, let's just say you get seven yards in the next three plays, and now it's fourth and three. You're not going to go for it fourth and three. You kick the ball from the 36-yard line. And you're still giving the ball back to the Vikings, right? So, I mean, and you haven't improved. It just, it's, 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 it's idiotic. 
You know, you could make the argument to go for it there. If a first down seals the win and ends the game, then yes, I understand going for it. It's super aggressive and it's risky, but at least the argument is, well, we get the first down, the game's over, we win the game. We take a knee, three plays in a row, four plays in a row, game over. Then you could have an argument. But the fact that there was all that time left in the game and a first down there guarantees you absolutely nothing, it's just beyond idiotic. It's beyond idiotic. And again, this is the same thing in baseball where axioms that were tried and true for hundreds hundreds of years are now somehow deemed ineffective based on analytics. It's stupid. It's dumb groupthink, and it makes no sense. And if you also want to get a kick out of things, as as a, as I said, watch. You watch the post game celebration in the locker room, and watch how much these guys love Campbell. Listen to Dan Miller, Detroit Lions radio play by play guy, call that last play. He is, by the way, a joy to listen to. If you're a fan of the Lions or if you're not, if you just like listening to happy, cheerful, joyful guys who love what they do, that Dan Miller is your guy. He is is tremendous. Love him. All right, moving on. Let's take a little look around the league. So Monday night game, Patriots played the Bills up in Buffalo. Big game for both teams, right? Patriots were 8-4 at the time. Buffalo was 7-4. Buffalo's trying to, you know, supposedly the best team in the division, right? They had a good year last year. Supposedly going to try to, you know, compete to, to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. It was a big game for them. They needed to win that game. They did not win that game. They lost that game 14-11. The win was howling. Huge gusts made it hard to throw the ball. Patriots... Threw the ball three times, three times, and won the game. So, of course, all the sycophants have to start to, you know, bow down to the altar of Bill Belichick. And Sean McDermott, the head coach of the Bills, was having none of it after the game. None of it. And I understand he comes across as a little bit whiny. I I don't care. I liked it. I I thought it was actually pretty funny. Um, You know, because the, 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 the reporters ask him, well, what do you think of, you know, Belichick's game plan, right? Basically to run the ball at almost every time. And, you know, subsequently, the Bills' inability to, to stop it, which was embarrassing. And Sean McDermott is a defensive guy. He was a defense coordinator at Carolina before he got this job. I mean, seriously, at some point, Buffalo, I mean, do you not just put 10 guys in the box? And they, they actually, you know, one of the Patriots' touchdowns, they got that long touchdown run early in the game because they did have everybody up there. And, you know, one guy overran it. And missed his gap, and the other guy kind of arm tackled, and that was it. And there's nobody back there, and so it was an easy touchdown for the Pats. But um, that was a bad loss for the Bills. Bad loss. So the Patriots now somehow are nine and four. The Bills are seven and five. Um, thing about the Bills is they don't really run the ball very well themselves. Um, you know, they kind of have a two-back approach with Moss and Singletary, but they don't run it that much. They like the quarterback to run it sometimes. And look, he's he's a dynamic athlete and, and played great last year. Um, that offense is not that scary right now. I mean, it's pretty one-dimensional. They're pretty much a passing team. So, I mean, that's, that's a big problem. Um, which is weird since they're Buffalo, right? And you would think they want to get home field advantage, and when the weather gets bad <coughs> in late December and January when the playoffs are, 
you'd think you'd want to take advantage of that. But the Bills, again, they're not equipped to run the ball, really, particularly well. So it looks like right now, Pats 9-4, and four, Bills 7-5. and five. Pats on easy street, as usual, to go win the division because the rest of that division stinks. I understand the, the Dolphins have sort of put themselves back in the mix here with five wins in a row, and they're 6-7. and seven, And, you know, the Jets are going to jet 3-9, and nine, uh, kicking fiasco. Uh, they, 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 they're just, I mean, the poor Jets. They really are just <laughs> absolute. They are the Lions of the AFC. And then in the AFC North, you've got the Ravens, who <clears throat> played the Steelers, had a chance to bury the Steelers. Um, and rather than score a touchdown late to tie, or should have been a tie, Harbaugh elected to go for two after the game, citing the fact that they were so beat up in the secondary, he didn't think they could win it in overtime. He wanted to go for it right then and there. And to be fair, they called a great play. They had the guy wide open for a two-point conversion, and Lamar Jackson just made a bad throw. They had, they had uh, Mark Andrews, a tight end, wide open in the flat, and he just made a bad pass. So they're 8-4. and four. The Bengals are 7-5. and five. Steelers are treading water on life support at 6-5-1, and one, and the Browns are 6-6. Six and six. So none of those teams are officially out, but, you know, I mean, the Browns are going to probably have, they have one more loss maybe if they want to make it. Same with the Steelers. Bengals are a strange team. They were getting killed by Chargers the other day, 24-0. They battled back, ended up losing anyway. They've got a lot of weapons on offense, starting with the quarterback, Burrow, and then Joe Mixon, the running back, and Jamar Chase, a rookie-wide receiver. Um, also, T. Higgins, second-year wide receiver, big, tall stud out of Clemson, and, and, and Tyler Boyd. They're th- I mean, they've got plenty of weapons on offense. Um. They're just a strange team. They look really good one week, and then they look terrible the next. Tough team to figure out. AFC South, the Titans are 8-4. and four. You know, they're kind of treading water again. Same thing, you know. No Derrick Henry has killed them. No A.J. Brown's killed them. Tannehill's not good enough to carry an offense on his shoulders. The Colts, you know, after a rough start of 7-6, and six, they really should have beat Tampa Bay two weeks ago. Turn a ball over in a red zone three times. Um, blew out the hapless Texans this past week. I, I don't take much from that. And then you got the Texans and Jaguars at 2-10 and ten each. Terrible, awful teams. <coughs> and then in the AFC West, you got the Chiefs at 8-4, and four, have won five games in a row. They looked okay doing it. Not great. It's certainly not the same explosive offense we're used to accustomed to seeing from the Chiefs. Chargers, another. Chargers are like the Bengals of the West Coast. I mean, they're 7-5. and five. The quarterback, Justin Herbert, looks great. Most of the time, uh, Austin Eckler is one of the best all-around backs in the NFL. Mike Williams is a stud, a wide receiver. Um, um, the other, uh, why can't I think? Uh, Keenan Allen, their other wide receiver is really good. They've got some pieces on defense. You know, the Bosa kid, I, 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 again, Chargers, I can't figure them out either. They, they should be better than they are. So my point is, if you look at the AFC, I mean, there's no great team. I mean, I understand the Patriots have the best record. They're, they're, they're not great. They're still not great. Um, they got the best coach, but, and that might be all that you need because, look, the rest of the AFC, I understand there's still five weeks to go here, so somebody could, you know, announce themselves. The Chiefs might, you know, maybe they put it all together and get hot again. Um 
And if they could have home field advantage, that's a tough place to play in Kansas City. Um, you know, but, I mean, the Ravens, no. I mean, they, they, they don't impress me. I mean, that, that offense, I mean, Lamar Jackson's come crashing back down to earth. Uh, by, by the way, the Ravens are dumb lucky to be 8-4. and four. They probably they, 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 they easily could be 4-8. and eight. I mean, they, I already talked about they should have lost the Lions. They probably should have lost the Colts. Uh, There's two other games they should have lost. I forget now exactly. I mean, the Ravens, not that good. Um, you know, again, the Bengals look like world beaters one week. Next week, they look terrible. Titans, if they get Derrick Henry back and they get A.J. Brown back, that, then that changes everything. Because the rest of that team is actually pretty good. You know, uh, you know the Raiders are alive at six and six. Technically, they're another one you can't figure out. Good one week, terrible the next. Same with the Broncos. Now, the Broncos aren't any good. I, I mean, I, I honestly, I don't even know how they have six wins. They get the quarterback Teddy Bridgewater with his pop gun arm. Uh, they've run the ball actually. Javante Williams looks really good. Rookie running back out of North Carolina, um, and Melvin Gordon is, is chipped in too. But there's no great team in, in any of the NFL, and particularly in the AFC. And you go over to the NFC, and, you know, the Cowboys are 8-4. and four. You know, they, when, they're, when they're at their best and everybody's healthy, they look really good because um, they have playmakers on defense with Parsons and, and Diggs in the back end there with all the interceptions. And Van Der Esch has played better this year again and at linebacker. And, you know, they, 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 the, the, the Cowboys – look good when everything's going right and when they've got all their offensive linemen and you know look Tony Pollard uh, looks like he may be replacing Zeke Elliott in the not too distant future running back looks explosive Zeke looks like he's got too much tread on the tires these days you know and when Dak is healthy and has time to throw and all the receivers are there that, that offense is very good be interesting to see. They play the Red, uh, the Washington football team twice now in the next three weeks. They're sitting there at six and six. The Eagles are still breathing at six and seven. The Packers in the North are nine and three, and the rest of the division stinks. Of course, five and seven. Vikings, Bears, four and eight. Lions are the Lions at one ten and one. And then in the South, I mean, I guess Tampa Bay. Again, Tampa Bay has not looked great. I mean, I know they're nine and three. They, they've gotten fortunate to win a couple of games here. And the rest of their division isn't any, isn't any good either. I mean, the Panthers are 5-7, and seven, playing Cam Newton at quarterback, for crying out loud, who's done. The Falcons stink. They're 5-7. and seven. And the Saints, you know, are now playing Taysom Hill after they played Travis, Tra, Tra, uh, Trevor Simeon, after they played Jameis Winston, who got hurt. I mean, the Saints, look, they're, they're realizing what life without Drew Brees is like. It ain't easy. You know, all of a sudden, Sean Payton and no Kamara either last couple of weeks. So, you know, all of a sudden, Sean Payton isn't such an offensive genius. It's amazing how you're not such a genius when you don't have players. And then the Cardinals, you know, look, they look really good at 10-2. and two. I mean, they've got tons of talent everywhere you look on both sides of the ball. They can rush the passer. They have playmakers in the secondary. They have playmakers, a linebacker, in, in, you know, with uh, Zayvon Collins and Isaiah Simmons. And Jordan Hicks. They can rush the passer. You know, Buda Baker in the back end, playmaking safety, uh, along with the Murphy kid. I mean, they, they, they're good. And then on offense, obviously, Kyler Murray's dynamic. 
DeAndre Hopkins, one of the best receivers in the league. James Conner has been a revelation. He's been reborn after a couple of very good years in Pittsburgh and then some down years. He's looked great for them this year. Um, you know, they've got playmakers all over the place. The big issue with them is Kyler Murray. I mean, he looks great at times. Sometimes he will give the ball to the other team. But if they don't turn the ball over, they're very hard to beat. And, you know, again, they, they, they want home field advantage in the worst way. They, they don't want to have to go play Green Bay in January. That's for sure. They want to be in a nice little climate-controlled dome out there in Arizona. And then the Rams are 8-4. and four. Look, I, you know I'm a Stafford guy. Uh, I still think they can put it all together. Um, but, you know, look, that game two weeks ago at Green Bay was a big test for them, and they, 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 they really they failed miserably. I mean, the game wasn't really close for a lot of it, unfortunately. And then, you know, the Niners are still technically alive at 6-6, six and six, and the Seahawks are 4-8 and eight and going nowhere, even though they won late against the Niners the other day. Um, so, you know, look, the, the NFC to me is a little bit more interesting than the AFC. Um, none of these AFC teams are, are particularly – I mean, other than the Chiefs, again, when they're hitting on all cylinders, are really fun to watch – the rest of these teams, eh. I mean, I want to root for the Colts. I like the Colts. I've been watching this in-season hard knocks, which I find to be very interesting. And Frank Reich's a Maryland guy, and I met him once when he was the backup quarterback for the Lions in the late 90s. Um, and he's a very nice man. So, I, you know, I, I'd like the Colts to do well, although I'm not a big Carson Wentz guy. Uh, so that, that kind of throws a little bit of a monkey wrench into it. But, I mean, I love Darius Leonard on, on defense and Kenny Moore. Jonathan Taylor, the running back. They got a lot of guys that are easy to root for. Um, Brian Baker is one of their assistant coaches. He was an assistant coach. At, he's a, also a former Maryland guy. Was an D-line coach with the Lions back in the late 90s when Bobby Ross was a coach when I was hanging around the team uh, at mini camps those two years. I like him. So, I mean, I'd like to see the Colts get hot here um, and overtake the Titans. I, you know, again, I can't stand the Patriots, so I got to try to figure out who can I? Who who has the best chance to knock off the Patriots? <laughs> and you'd say it's got to be the Chiefs if they're playing at home in Kansas City. So it'd be interesting to see how these next five weeks go. All right, shifting gears, we go over to college football. So you had the um, you know the conference championship games, the ones that had you know uh, the ones that counted for the playoff were the SEC championship game. Which we said last week, regardless of who won that game, both teams are still going to be in anyway. So that game really wasn't that big of a deal, honestly, the Alabama-Georgia game. But it was bad for Georgia in the sense that they got exposed on defense. You know, we, I, I talked about how great their defense was, and Alabama put up 41 on them. Now, the Alabama quarterback, Bryce Young, is legit. I mean, he's really good. Um He's tough as nails. You know, he, he did not play well in the Auburn game until late in the game when it mattered and drove the team down 98 yards. Look, he, he makes some great throws. He really does. Um, and, uh, you know, that whole game changed when I think it was what? It was 17-17. Georgia was kind of hanging in there. And then Alabama was driving at the end of the half. And he ran for a first down. One of the big linemen on Georgia tracked him down, chased him down, great effort play, knocked the ball loose, and, you know, great bounce of the ball if you're an Alabama fan, bounce right back to the quarterback, 
or else that might the, the complexion of that game may have changed. That could have been a huge momentum shift. Um, so the score, you know, looked ugly. What was it, 41-24 at the end there? Um, again, Georgia didn't have much of an answer. Now, I suspect that they will address some things and fix some things um, if they play Alabama again. But that game was pretty anticlimactic. Michigan-Iowa game, not much of a game. Michigan took care of business. I, I was not surprised. I was not all that good. And you guys all know, if you ever listen to the show before, you know I have a tremendous amount of respect for Iowa as a program, right? This is not a vintage Iowa team. They, they don't do anything well on offense. There's not one, they, they don't run it particularly well, and the quarterback isn't any good. So, you know, and, and they got kind of lucky when they beat Penn State earlier in the year because Penn State's quarterback got hurt. Um, you know, Iowa's defense is legit, right? They turn you over. Their secondary is a bunch of ball hawks, right? And they're going to be tough, and they're going to be physical, and they're going to be well-coached. That's what Kirk Ferentz does. That's what Iowa does every year. Yeah, it's not a vintage Iowa team, though. It's, not, it's, a, it's a decent Iowa team. It's not a great team. Michigan's much better. was not surprised by that game at all. Um, actually, one of the more exciting endings was the Oklahoma State-Baylor game, which would have been interesting. Um, had Alabama lost, then it, you would have thought Oklahoma State would have been in as the four. Because... <coughs> They would have won the Big 12 and only had one loss. You can't put Alabama in there with two losses. I'm sorry. You can't. I mean, they, they may have, but that would have been really unfair. Um, but Oklahoma State lost on fourth down. They went for it. Had to. Needed a touchdown and win. And uh, literally, guy from Baylor knocked the running back out at basically the half-inch line. But when he turned a corner and bounced it outside and went for the pie line, it looked like he was going to score. And this kid on Baylor made an unbelievable play to keep him out of the end zone. Look, that was one of those ones you tip your cap to both guys. The running back for Oklahoma State made a hell of an effort reaching the ball out, trying to hit the pylon, and the kid on Baylor made a great play to keep him out. It it was really uh, an excellent ending to what was an otherwise kind of a sloppy game. You know, Oklahoma turned it over four times a quarterback through four interceptions. Um, But there was really no drama, right? Once once Oklahoma State lost that game— um, and Alabama won. I mean, Cincinnati took care of their business. I guess that was the other one. If had Cincinnati lost to Houston, right, then you, you might have, and, and had Oklahoma State won, maybe they would have gone ahead of Cincinnati, although I don't think that would have been fair either. Um, but Cincinnati did what they needed to do, and they took care of business. So good for them. So they will play Alabama. Georgia will play Michigan. Uh, and we'll see. Um you know, it'll be, look, obviously the chalk says Alabama's going to, you know, beat Cincinnati and beat them fairly easily. I think they're a two-touchdown favorite. Um, and, you know, Georgia-Michigan will be an interesting game. Two similar teams, right? Um, you know, Michigan doesn't throw it all that well. Neither does Georgia. Michigan wants to run the ball, so does Georgia. Michigan wants to play good defense, so does Georgia. So two teams that are somewhat mirror images of each other. Uh, so that'll be interesting. You guys know I'll be rooting for Georgia in that one. I will say this for Jim Harbaugh. While I I disliked Jim Harbaugh for a very long time, and and full disclosure, it started with when he was the coach for the 49ers and they had a game against the Lions, and him and Jim Schwartz got into a little bit of a dust-up at the end of the game because Harbaugh runs his mouth the whole game, would not shut up, bitching and moaning at the officials the whole game. I think Schwartz had had about enough. You know, 49ers won late in that game. 
Um, it was a tough loss, and Schwartz was not, you know, not in the mood. And Harbaugh came over and slapped him hard on his back, and Schwartz was like, "What the fuck was that?" And they got into a whole big thing. Um, and you know, look, Harbaugh's an irritant. It's what he does. I feel like he's toned his act down a lot, though. Maybe he's been humbled by the fact that people have been calling for his job for the last several years while he's been in Michigan. But good for Michigan to keep him there, right? He's a Michigan guy. And look, you know, you're not going to win the national championship every year. I don't care who you are, right? Even Michigan. But, you know, by all accounts, he runs a clean program. A lot of his kids graduate, puts a lot of guys in the pros, and they're, they're competitive every year. I mean, they're good every year. They're not going 6-6 six and six and playing in some crappy bowl game. I mean, what's the worst that happens? They go 9-3 and three and they lose to Ohio State? I mean, you know, that should be good enough. People's expectations are out of control in college football at these big-time programs. So, you know, be careful what you wish for. So good for Michigan. They gave him an extension. And he seems to have toned his act down somewhat. So give credit where credit is due. And congratulations, by the way, to my alma mater, the University of Maryland Terrapins. Granted, 6-6 six and six didn't seem like a lot. Uh, based on the, the recent history, it was a step in the right direction. Granted, I understand the last game they, they blew out a bad Rutgers team. You know what? That's the first step to trying to get out of being the doormats of the Big Ten and being on a par with the Indianas of the world and the Rutgers and the Illinois. So they beat Rutgers this year. They beat Illinois. They beat Indiana. They beat us, you know, not the West Virginians in the Big Ten, but they beat West Virginia. They beat Kent State. And Kent State, look, Kent State was uh, had a winning record in the MAC. And they beat them pretty handily. So they got their six wins. They did what they needed to do. They made a bowl game. They're playing a pinstripe bowl in Yankee Stadium, December 29th. Good for them. That'll be a fun trip for the kids, right? And, and, you know, I'm sure not everybody on that team has been to New York before, so they get to go spend some time in New York around the holidays. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it'd probably be cold, but it probably won't be that cold. But, you know, what? even if it is, who, you know, God forbid it snows, that would be fun. But they're playing Virginia Tech. Who again, Virginia Tech not that all that good this year. They're six and six, mediocre, but a big time name, right? Former ACC foe. So that'll be a fun game. Good for them. It's a step in the right direction. And look, Tua's little brother, Talia Tagovailoa, the quarterback from Maryland. I mean, look, he put up some big time numbers this year, right? 3,700 yards, 35 touchdowns. He flashes at times. And this was his first full year as a starter. And he'll be back next year. Maryland had plenty, plenty of talent at the skill position. Plenty of talent receiver. Plenty of talent running back. Offensive line pretty good. They had some players on defense. Look, I, Maryland's biggest problem is Maryland. They shoot themselves in the foot constantly. You know, I was at the Maryland-Ohio State game. I understand that the final score was ugly and they got blown out. Maryland hung with Ohio State for the first quarter and a half of that game, moved the ball between the 20s. Once they got in the red zone, shot themselves in the foot. Penalties, turnovers. Now, I'm not saying they're as good as Ohio State. They're not. But they're not as bad as, you know, 55 to 17 or whatever the final score was. 
Same thing in the Michigan game. They were competitive for a while. Same thing in Penn State. They played with Penn State that whole game. They should have beaten Penn State, frankly. You know, Minnesota kind of ran over them a little bit. But, you know, look, Minnesota can be tough at times. Big physical team. Uh, and same thing, you know, they hung in with Michigan State in that game too early. You know, if, again, I, I hopefully everybody will just calm down now and the self-inflicted wounds will abate. You know, now I feel like, they, you know, they, they want it so much, so badly. The guys just, they try to do too much and they just, they're not concentrating. I mean, listen, it's maddening. And that falls on a coach. Look, I want Mike Loxley to work out in the worst way. Not been impressed so far with the in-game stuff. He's recruited well. I think he calls a good game. Well, he doesn't call the plays, but it's his offense. I think it's a good offense. Um, I just, you know, the discipline or lack thereof has been a major issue. So hopefully they'll clean that up now. Everybody can just take a deep breath and relax. Okay, we made a bowl game. We're showing some progress. And look, next year you want to see seven and five, eight and four. And that's who Maryland should be. Maryland should be like Iowa Light. You know, seven, five, eight and four, really good year, nine and three, maybe ten and two. And you upset one of the big guys, right? The big dogs being Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, maybe Michigan State, right? Those four are most of the time, and I maybe throw Iowa in the mix, those five, but Maryland will play all these teams every year, right? So they don't play Iowa every year because they're in a different division. But the teams in their division that they do play every year, Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State, they can upset one of those big four, not every year, but every other year. And like I said, win seven, eight, nine games in a really good year, maybe you win 10. That's fine. That, that's great. But there's no reason Maryland can't be that. They have good facilities. They're in a part of the country that's very rich in talent. That DM, the you know DC, Maryland, Virginia, right? Jersey's not far away. All right, they're in the Big Ten. All the games are on TV. There's no reason why they can't be a solid program year in year out, consistent. No reason. No reason at all. All right, shifting gears, let's go over to the Knicks, NBA. So since Thibodeau made the switch from Kemba Walker to Alec Burks, they had gone 0-3 until last night. They went on the road. They played the Spurs, who this, again, not a vintage Spurs team. They have a losing record. But the Spurs are always dangerous as far as I'm concerned, and they have talent. And Popovich is still the coach. They're always dangerous. And there's a home game. Look, the Spurs just beat the Warriors the other night. The Warriors... Between the Warriors and the Suns, the two best teams in the league, right? What are the Warriors, like 20-5 and five or something? So they're, they're dangerous. And the Knicks won, and that was nice to see. Um, R.J. Barrett had a huge game, finally. And look, I think I've said it before, I'll say it again. As, as important as Julius Randle is, the Knicks, as R.J. goes, that's how the Knicks go. He plays well, they win. He has bad games, they lose. And he had had that great stretch of games, five in a row, when the Knicks were playing well, when he had 20 or more points and he shot, shooting 50% from both the field and from three. And he looked like he was making the jump. And then it all kind of came crashing down. He went into a shooting slump, then he got sick. 
Thibodeau also made another lineup change last night. He took Mitch Robinson out of the starting lineup at center and put Nerlens Noel in there. Noel didn't play particularly great, but Robinson played great off the bench. He had 11 points, 14 rebounds, and a ton of offensive rebounds and putbacks. And he looked much more energized playing with that second unit with Quickly and Rose and Toppin. I mean, that's a fun group. Robinson, Rose, Toppin, and Quickly, and, you know, whomever else the fifth guy is going to be. That's, that's a fun group to watch. And, again, they got to figure out more minutes for Toppin. Yeah, he had, what, eight points in 15 minutes last night, you know, four for six. Brings in energy. You know, you want to see him improve the jump shot, but, you know, look, again, focus on what the guy does well, which is get out on the break, finish, and he's gotten better in the half court when he has a mismatch and a shorter guy's guarding him. You know, last year he was always in a hurry. This year he slowed it down a little bit, and he can score in the post. So, look, Knicks are 12-12. and 12. There's a ton of games left. You know, the, everyone's, oh, you know, people talk about standings now in the NBA. What, how, what are you talking about standings? It's like 55 games left. And by the way, if you do want to look at the standings, you know, I mean, the Nets have a great record. The Bulls look really good. You know, Milwaukee had a slow start. Charlotte. Who's a competitor? You know, the, the Sixers, and the, there are a couple games over 500. I mean, it's not, there's so much time left. It's so silly to start talking about standings already, 24 games in. Big game tonight, though, having said that. They play the Pacers. The Pacers are not very good. Um, Knicks need to win this game tonight. I mean, they don't need to. It'd be nice to. It'd be a nice one to get. It'd be nice to, you know, string together a few wins here, go on a little mini winning streak here, you know. Go six and four in the next ten, seven and three. Finally, we come little Major League Baseball. So the Mets are interviewing several candidates to be their next manager. You know, you can do that even though there's a lockout. So it's Brad Ausmus, who had one good year in Detroit. They won the division, and then Billy Epler, the GM, Mets GM, now hired him in Anaheim and didn't go particularly well. wasn't a very good team. He's won. What you like about him is, you know, he's a former catcher. Former catchers make good managers, right? Um, he, you know, Torrey was a catcher. Joe Girardi was a catcher. Uh, Mike Matheny was a catcher. There's a lot of catchers that turned out to be good managers. Um, so he's one candidate. Buck Showalter's another, and apparently Max Scherzer, that's who he wants. And again, I've said this last week, I'll say it again. That should be the guy. Buck should be the guy. He's got the track record. He's done it in New York. Epler knows him. And he will be what Tom Thibodeau has been to the Knicks. He will be that to the Mets. All this nonsense that goes on, that ends. There will be accountability you won't see guys getting doubled off first base on line drives hit in front of them. Um, he will bring an air of professionalism and accountability that has long, long been lacking with this team. Even when Terry Collins was here, they talked about it. I didn't see a lot of it, honestly. So I think Buck should be the guy. 
And then finally, congratulations to Jim Kitty Cott for finally being inducted into Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Well, long overdue as far as I'm concerned. But for those of you who don't know, and, and by the way, great announcer. Seems like just one of the nicest men you'll ever meet in your life. But career record of 283 and 237 with a 345 ERA. Also had 17 saves just for good measure because he pitched in relief late in his career. I think one, I think, let's see, he won one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 gold gloves, 16 gold gloves. Had that, I think, epic showdown against Sandy Koufax in the World Series one year. Had years where he pitched, let's see, how many, I mean, it was a different sport back then, I get it, but, I mean, 200 innings every year, 200, 269, 243, 264, 300, in 1966, he went 25 and 13 with a 275 ERA, he had 41 starts, 19 complete games, 304 innings, I mean, was an all-star, finished fifth in the MVP voting, and won a gold glove. One of his 16 gold gloves. I mean, the guy had a tremendous career. Tremendous. So, kudos and congratulations to, one, again, a great announcer and one of the nicer guys you'll ever run across in Jim Cott. Good job, Kitty. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Jamal About Sports. As always, thanks for listening. You can check us out on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud. Until next time, peace out.